This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Man, you guys are always so chipper, ready to go. And take your Bible study notes out. Uh, we're going to be looking at some pretty radical truths today. This morning, we're going to start our fall teaching series, which is called Threads. Threads. You know, like the ones you sew with. I was raised by my grandparents, and so I remember growing up and watching my grandmother knit. Um, and then I would watch her with these, these little needles, with these little uh, hooks on the end, and she would just go to town, you know? Like, she would just do this. And before you know it, there's like a huge blanket made. Like, and I'm just, I'm going, what are you doing? And then, so as, I've got, as I got a little bit older, I learned that there's a difference between knitting and crocheting. I mean, guys, I didn't know if you knew this or not, but there is. There's a difference between knitting and crocheting. But knitting and crocheting have one thing in common. They both use a type of thread and a type of needle to knit together, to weave into a tapestry of some sort. And maybe it's a blanket. It could be an afghan. It could be a sweater or a hat or some mittens. But you're, you're taking thread you're, or you're taking cords and you are weaving them together to make something bigger. And, and this is the, the idea behind our Falls teaching series is threads. There are these values that Mill City Church holds to very firmly. There are values that make us who we are as a church, as a local church. And one of my good friends and mentors in uh, the faith, he says something very wise. Uh, He says that there are all types of churches to reach all types of people. And no one church is going to reach all people. That's helpful for us to know. It's helpful for us to understand. It's why you go to different places and you may have some different experiences. Now, of course, we're all united around the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there are going to be some unique intricacies that make our church, our church family, very unique. There's going to be some things in the DNA of our church that makes us unique and also positioned to reach a demographic or to reach a a group of people that perhaps the church a mile down the street or five miles down the road would not be positioned to do. Now, we should embrace this. This doesn't make any gospel-preaching church more uh, uh, greater than the next. It doesn't mean that one church is God's favorite It simply means that each of us is leveraged in a way and we have something written into our DNA and and values as a local church to say, this is what we are about and this is what we're going after. And so what I want to do this fall semester is to unpack 10 core values of Mill City Church. And what this is going to allow you to do, for those of you who maybe you're new, maybe you've only started coming in the last few weeks or the last few months, Perhaps you joined last spring, or maybe you're someone who is just kind of checking things out right now. Prayerfully, over the next few months, then what you will hear from our pulpit here are the values that we hold to. It's our heartbeat. This is what we're about. And that, what that should help you do is to discern whether or not Mill City Church is a place where you would want to latch on to and make this your church family. Others of you, you've been members for years. 
And for those of you who have been members for years, you're going to hear some of these values in the coming weeks. You're going to say, oh, yeah, I've experienced that. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Oh, man, I love that. And you're going to be simply affirmed in where you are in God's family. But regardless, this fall, what I hope to show you is to show you all of these threads that weave together to form the beautiful tapestry that is Mill City Church and that we would rejoice in the family of God that he has built and is continuing to build here at Mill City. Now today, we're going to start with probably the most core of core values for us at Mill City, and it's worship. And it's going to surprise you, maybe, the angle from which I'm going to come is that we're not simply talking about the types of songs that we sing or whether we use a drum set or not in our worship service. In case you weren't paying attention today, we do, but I just want to make sure you're paying attention and awake this morning. But that's not what I mean by worship. In other words, we're going to be looking at what is this thing called life really all about on planet Earth. And what you're going to see from the scriptures, and as we go down through our study today, you're going to see that everything in life, everything on this earth, everything in the galaxy, in our solar system, everything that ever has been, is today, or ever will be, whether it's temporal here on earth or for all eternity, everything is about the glory and worship of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is foundational for us here at Mill City Church because before we're about a mission, before we are about reaching people, before we're about meeting needs, we must always remember that everything is ultimately about God and His glory. And as we are consumed with that, and as we are satisfied with His glory, now what happens is that now empowers and colors our view and passion for every other aspect of ministry that we conduct. And so this morning, we're going to be all over the Scriptures today, and hopefully you'll keep up. There will be some on the screens behind me to help us keep up. Hopefully you'll take good notes. I'm going to start this morning with two foundational truths. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you were going to hear a little bit of repetition here. But as George Orwell once famously said, sometimes the first duty of intelligent man is the restatement of the obvious. And so we're going to repeat Actually, the whole last point of last week's sermon. So I want you guys to know who I've been here. I am with it today. I'm not in the wrong place in my notes. I understand that I preached this last Sunday, but this is for review. Two foundational truths as we start in talking about the glory of God this morning. First of all, let me define what glory means. That's a Christianese church word, I know. And sometimes there are words that we hear a lot and perhaps we don't know the essence of their meaning. When we say God's glory, it means His fame, His renown, or simply His gravitas, if we wanted to put it in 21st century language. Ultimately, it's worship. It's pointing us towards worship. The Greek word is doxa. And it's one of the root words in our English word, doxology. It's ultimately recognizing Him for who He is. And so the whole point of human existence on planet Earth is that people, men, women, children, would recognize God for the greatness and the awesomeness and the majestic nature of who He is. 
And we start seeing what this whole thing called life is about. It's ultimately about the glory of God. Two foundational truths. First is this. God's glory is His supreme passion. God's glory is His supreme passion. You see this all the way back in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, God's people, they are in slavery. They are in slavery in Egypt. God appoints His servant, His intercessor, His mediator, Moses, to go and cry out to Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, on behalf of His people. And over and over again, we see this picture where Moses cries out and God hardens the heart of Pharaoh. Moses cries out, God hardens the heart of Pharaoh. And then we get to chapter 14, where the whole thing goes down. And if you want to read the context, I encourage you to go back there maybe this afternoon. But this is the first time in all of written scripture that we see the term glory. That we see the glory of God being referenced. And in chapter 14 of Exodus, beginning in verse 4, here's what God says. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh, and all his host and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Do you see the connection there? I said that one of the definitions of glory means looking at God and recognizing him for the greatness that he is. You see this defined right here in verse 4. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now you go down to verse 17. You see the exact same thing. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. This is where we first see the glory of God. You go on through the Bible and you get to the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 42.8, this is after God's people started rebelling against Him and chasing after other idols. And so they come before Him in contrition. He wants to save them. He wants to redeem them. This is God's practice all throughout the Old Testament. But look at the reason why He's going to save them. Look at the reason why He's going to rescue them. Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory. I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. You go on to chapter 48, verse 11. He says this, For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For my own sake I rescue you. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Brothers and sisters, you see this truth all throughout the Old Testament. I'm only giving you a glimpse this morning. You get to the New Testament and you see Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene. And in John chapter 12, verse 28, we see what Jesus was consumed with. Oftentimes, we want to think that Jesus is just simply all about us. Jesus came for us. Jesus came to heal us. Jesus came to save us. Yes, He did. That is a great, glorious truth I'm thankful for. But is that the ultimate reason for which Jesus came? Verse 28 of John chapter 12 uh, tells us this. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it. Again, 
even Jesus and his perfect life and miraculous healing works and the salvation that we get through his death and resurrection on the cross is ultimately not about you or me. It's ultimately about God. What all these scriptures are pointing us towards this morning is the truth that God is all about God. His glory is his top priority. And since this is his top priority, what should be your priority and my priority? His glory. We honor God first and foremost by having the same heart that He has and sharing the same passions as He shares. And the Scriptures from beginning to end tell us that God is all about God. Now some may be tempted to say that this is selfish. And this is egotistical. And you may even be thinking... Well, I'm not sure that I would like to worship and follow a God who is all about himself and is as much of a narcissist as this sounds like. Well, be careful. Be careful. Because if God is not going to exalt himself above all things, then whom else or what else would you suggest that he exalt above all things? Listen to this helpful clarification from Louis Giglio. Louis Giglio is one of the leaders of the Passion Worship Movement. He says this, So if God is God, and He knows who He is, God must perpetually exalt Himself in all things. For if God failed to exalt Himself in every possible way, He would exalt something or someone else as central, someone or something that was not central at all. This would make God both unwise and unloving. Unwise because it would demonstrate that He didn't know what was best. Unloving because he would be allowing our attention and our affection to be aimed towards something that was less than the very best. But since God encompasses all wisdom and is the source of pure love, he has no choice but to exalt himself above all things. Brothers and sisters, God would only be egotistical. He would only be selfish He would only be narcissistic if he were not who he actually is. But he is only being true to his own character. And so for God not to be about God would be both unloving and unwise to us as people whom he created for his glory. So the first foundational truth that we must know when it comes to worship this morning is that God's glory is his supreme passion. But number two, God's glory is also our supreme satisfaction. God's glory is our supreme satisfaction. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 7 tells us the very reason why you were created. One of the big questions that people ask today is, what is my purpose? Why am I here on earth? Why was I even born to begin with? And Isaiah 43.7 defines that for us. Isaiah 43.7 says that we were created for God's glory. Just as a beautiful canvas painting, painting on canvas, hangs in the National Gallery, and that beautiful painting 
glorifies and points our attention to the artist who created it, who fashioned it. So you and I, as we walk on planet earth, we are walking masterpieces, glorifying and pointing others' attention as well as our attention to the God who created us. He is our ultimate satisfaction because we come from him. We find our genesis in him. We find our origins in God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 12 tells us that even in Jesus' saving us through the cross and his resurrection, Ephesians 1.12 says that we were saved to the praise and glory of God. How does this change our gospel presentations, Mill City? We're not ultimately sharing the gospel just to get people out of hell and into heaven. Although that is a very great byproduct, amen? But is that the ultimate aim of salvation? Is that the ultimate aim is simply rescuing people from destruction? It's not what Paul says in Ephesians 1. That even our salvation, even our rescue is to the praise of his glory. There's a lot of talk about happiness today. Who are you to take away my happiness, right? We hear this everywhere. We are very consumed with being happy. Happy, 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 right? Well, here's the reality. This is radical this morning. There is no thing on planet earth. Did you hear the absolute exhaustive tone in that statement? There is no thing on planet earth that will always make you happy. There is no thing on planet earth that will always satisfy you. Even the things that are most precious and valuable to us, like our families or our spouses, our kids, our parents, our jobs, no matter how fulfilling they may be, there is not a single thing or person on planet earth that will always leave you happy. Always being satisfied. But this is why we as people run and chase after a myriad of people, relationships, jobs, opportunities, foreign substances, money, dot, 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 fill in the blank. Because we are trying to satisfy longings in our heart that only God can fill. Now here's the picture. When we come to God and we surrender to Him and we receive His Son by faith and repentance of sins, now as we are satisfied by God and we are satisfied by His Son, now He will unleash us to enjoy a whole bunch of things on planet earth. But one of the reasons why things on earth don't make us happier than they could is because we don't first find our happiness in God who defines all of those things for us. The Westminster Shorter Catechism famously says it this way, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This sums up all the teachings of Scripture we've just looked at. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And John Piper has famously and eloquently said it this way, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. So the first foundational truth that I want you to see, these two foundational truths that I want you to see, is that God's supreme passion is His glory. And our ultimate satisfaction is His glory. But if you're anything like me, if this is reality, you look around this world, 
And you look even in your own heart, or you even go into the confines of your own home, and you start recognizing very quickly that there is a huge deficit of the glory of God among relationships and institutions on planet Earth, right? We start recognizing that there is a chasm between what we've just looked at in the scriptures and what reality is on planet earth. So we also have to ask the question, why? So if these are the two foundational truths of scripture, we must also see one universal problem. And that one universal problem is sin. Sin prohibits us from seeing the glory of God. Sin prohibits us from experiencing the glory of God and pursuing the glory of God first and foremost in our lives. Romans 3.23 sums it up this way. So if we were created for God's glory and God is all about His glory, Romans 3.23 says this, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Inherent in that passage, Paul is telling us that we as human beings cannot even fulfill the very purpose for which God created us because of sin. Sin has distorted the entire picture. Now I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1. I want you to see how, how we do this. Now there's so many other things that we could say today about this, but for the sake of time, I want to boil it down to these couple in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, Romans chapters 1, 2, 1 and 2 stand as pretty much the indictment of mankind in his sin. And then Romans 3 brings the gospel into the picture. But let's look at Romans chapter 1 because verses 18 through 23 are pretty much going to lay out for us the indictment on humanity and our sin. Paul writes this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's a very important phrase. You may want to underline it. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. You could write in parentheses there, glorify God. They did not glorify Him as God, nor give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Here's what Paul says that we do as human beings. We look out at God's glory. We look at those of us who have been created. We look at what we do and what we don't do on planet earth. And what we do is we suppress the reality of God. We suppress the knowledge of God. We suppress the truth of God and we, we stomp on it and we want to metaphorically tuck it under the rug so that it can be out of sight, out of mind, and instead... We esteem our own glory. We esteem our own ingenuity. We esteem ourselves more than we esteem God. Have you ever noticed that anything good that happens in our lives, 
anything good that happens in the world. Our natural bent is to take the credit. We talk about the ingenuity of man. We talk about the intellect of science. We, we talk about the wonderful art, art, uh, artistic hands of our artist. Anything good we see, we promote the glory of man. But then anything that bad, that we perceive as bad happens, whether it's the death of a loved one, an accident, a natural disaster like a hurricane or an earthquake or fire, and we shake our fists at God and we say, why, how could you? Because here's where we are as human beings. God, we don't need you. We've got this. And how dare you do anything to upset our comfort and our safety on planet earth. Because we, we are the gods of this world. And we got this. That's Paul's indictment in Romans chapter 1. Now here's how we see this. Our universal problem sin. We exchange God's glory for our own. We exchange God's glory for our own. You may say, Chris, I, I don't think I am one of those people. Like, I, I don't want to be the person that takes away God's glory. I want to live for God's glory. Let me put it in a different way, maybe a lighter way. Paul Tripp writes a great illustration of this in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. He tells the story of a children's birthday party, and it's in a kindergarten classroom. And the, the, the mothers of the room come together at Susie's birthday, and they come into the little classroom, and they put streamers up in the ceilings, and streamers are falling from the ceilings. They come in, and they, and they, they tie a balloon and a balloon on the back of every single chair for the little kids who are going to come in and enjoy Susie's birthday party. And then what they do is they wrap around a little cellophane sack on the back of the chair so that every child at Susie's birthday party gets a bag of goodies and a bag of party favors except one child one child doesn't get this and that's Susie Susie is the person of honor Susie is the guest of honor so Susie gets to sit in the middle of the room and Susie gets to sit in a chair with a whole uh, ocean of presents just around her as she sits on her little island with the presents around her but then Johnny comes into the room, and all the other kids are having a great time. But Johnny is sitting in his chair with his arms folded and his lower lip put out because Johnny is really upset that he does not have the same presence that Susie has. And so what he does is he starts making an audible sound of, uh, and he gets louder and louder with each passing minute so that everyone cannot mistake in his disdain for the circumstances. Until one of the mothers comes over and grabs little Johnny and takes him by the shoulders and says, Johnny, it's not your party. It's not your party. Now, those of us who have been around kids for any length of time in our lives, you are totally identifying with this story. Because even those of you who have multiple kids, or if you're a sibling who has multiple siblings in your family, you have lived this reality firsthand. Now, Paul Tripp goes on to say this. Johnny would never enjoy his inclusion in the event if he demanded to be at the center. So it is with the grand story of the Bible. 
with all of its locations and people, with all of its dramatic events of nature and history, at the center of the story is the Lord. It is His story. Paul summarized the story this way in Romans eleven thirty six: for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Brothers and sisters, on any given day in our natural bent, in our natural lives, we have convinced ourselves that life on earth, it's our party. It's about us. Everything should be about my benefit, my safety, my security, my comfort. And when it's not, I shake my fist at God and I say, why? Tripp would go on to call us glory robbers. And that's what Romans 1 tells us. Romans 1 verse 23 says that we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. We are glory robbers. R.C. Sproul famously says that this is cosmic treason. Cosmic treason. Because we are seeking to steal that which only belongs to God. We exchange God's glory for our own and then we exchange truth for lies. We exchange truth for lies. That's what the text tells us. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to God, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. We exchange truth for lies. Then when you look at the past couple of weeks, we've witnessed several severe weather events in the Western Hemisphere. Two major hurricanes, wildfires in Southern California and the Pacific Northwest, a devastating earthquake in Mexico and all the subsequent floods from Hurricane Harvey in southern Texas. You scour through Facebook and social media, our verbiage and our answers are insufficient at best. We've traded the term acts of God now for the wrath of Mother Nature. I even came across this meme on social media this week. And all the memes of praying for Washington or praying for Oregon or praying for Texas or praying for Florida. And the big meme says, don't pray, vote for a government that believes in science. Now, I'm not for a moment today, ladies and gentlemen, getting into a political argument about climate change or global warming. I'll leave that to the pundits and the people in Washington and the people in the laboratories. But what is inherently wrong with this statement other than the complete bogus insensitivity and compassion towards real people who are really hurting in the midst of these tragedies? Inherent in this argument is that we now believe as society that we are so masters of our domain that if we just vote for the right people, they can make even all the hurricanes and the tornadoes and the earthquakes go away. Paul says, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We see these two foundational truths that all of life, all of human history, everything points to the glory of God. But there's one universal problem and that's sin. But thanks be to God that there is also one transformational solution. And it's the gospel. 
It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're still in your New Testament in in the book of Romans, turn over just a couple of books to the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to see this in 2 Corinthians 4. There's one transformational solution, the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, here's what this same apostle Paul writes. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 is that we ultimately need a worldview shift. Being a Christian is not simply about adding a spiritual dynamic to your life. Being a Christian is not about becoming a better person. Becoming a Christian is not simply about being rescued from hell so I could spend eternity in heaven, although it's a great byproduct. What Paul says is by the power of the gospel, we need an entirely new way of thinking and perceiving and processing the things that we see in the world. We need a worldview shift so that we see the world and we see eternity. We see God and we see ourselves closer to the way God himself sees and processes all of those things. Here's what Paul tells us. I'm going to be very quick here. Number one, we need new eyes. We need new eyes. It's what he says in verse uh, 4. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. We need new eyes that sees the things of God. We need a new mind. Secondly, he tells us this. We need a new mind. Verse 4 says, in in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. We not only need to see, have new eyes that sees the things of God, we need a new mind that comprehends the things of God. Then we need a new heart, he says. We need a new heart. Verse 6 says, Let light shine out of darkness has, uh, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Do you see the picture? As people who are lost, as people who are unbelievers, as people who do not have Jesus Christ in our lives, who have not been awakened to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're dark. We can't process the things of God. We can't see them. We can't understand them. Our heart doesn't beat for the things of God. But do you see the language he uses? Now I'm asking this rhetorically. You don't have to answer out loud. But in verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, does that sound familiar? Where do we see that? We see it at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1. So a God who creates everything out of nothing in the same way comes to a spiritually dead, darkened heart and speaks light and speaks life. And let there be light where there once was darkness. Let there be spiritual life where there once was death. We need a new heart We ultimately need Jesus.
Verse 5 says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There is no glorifying God apart from Jesus Christ. Do you want to know why? Do you? Do you really want to know why? Because John 17 verse 4 tells us. Jesus gives us the perfect example of glorifying God with our lives. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And another place in the Gospels, Jesus says, God, Father, I always do what pleases you. Would anyone in this room like to stand and say that this morning? I would encourage you not to do that. There is no human being who can stand before God and say, God, Father, I always do what you want me to do. There's none of us that can say, God, I glorified you on earth on our own. That's why we go through Jesus, because we're going through the one who's already done perfectly what God expects you and me to do. So we have two foundational truths about God's glory. We see one universal problem, sin, that keeps us from getting there, but one transformational solution, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That gets us to the point where now we can live for one consuming passion. And this is where all of life points towards, is one consuming passion. And here at Mill City Church, this is a value for us. This is one of our heartbeats is that we wouldn't simply be a collection of people who simply want a better way of life. That we wouldn't simply be a collection of people who are simply trying to be more moral, more morally upright. But that we would be a people who have been so transform, transformed by the gospel of Christ and so transfixed upon the glory of God because of repenting of sins and placing faith in Jesus that we now have one consuming passion, and that passion is that we now live all of life for the glory of God. All of life. For you see, if, if God's passion for His glory equates God receiving worship from His people in all creation, and that's His greatest passion, then our greatest passion should be to have that same passion for worship and glory of God. And we must be reminded that that is not confined to a 90-minute experience on Sunday morning inside of an edgy modern building. This morning, brothers and sisters, this is a means of grace God commands us to do corporately in order to bring blessing to his ears to hear the worship and prayers of his people, while at the same time he uses this to form inside of us a heart for him. But this is only an act in the greater drama of worshiping God on earth. He wants all of life to be lived for the glory of God. He wants all of our lives to be worship. Colossians 3.17 says it. And whatever you do. You may want to circle that word. Whatever. We're just marking our Bibles up left and right today aren't we? And whatever you do. In word or deed. Do everything. You might want to circle that word. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you see the picture? 
All of life is worship to God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. John Piper illustrates it this way. God created us for this, to live our lives in a way that makes him look more like the greatness and the beauty and the infinite worth that he really is. When the world looks at you, when the world looks at me, they should get a foretaste of the greatness of God. Chris, how, how does this play out? I mean, does this mean I just walk down the street just singing um all day long? No, it doesn't mean that there are cars on the street. Now, sometimes driving in Lowell, you wouldn't think that people think that there are cars on the street, but that's a discussion for another day. Crosswalks are our friends, and um, that's all I'm going to say. And yes, there are light posts and signs that you would run into. So no, it doesn't mean just going around with your eyes closed with bowed heads in prayer singing, um. What does it look like? Practically speaking, it means that we can honor and worship and glorify God in the way we work. If you have a job that contributes positively to society, this is a service and, and you can actually glorify and worship God by doing a good job and honoring your boss and your, and your fellow employees regardless of what your job is. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, whatever your life's work is, do it well. A man should do his job so well that the living, the dead, and the unborn could do it no better. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper that did his job well. Love that quote. We can worship, honor, and glorify God in the way we work. We worship and glorify Him in the way we pursue spiritual disciplines. Every time we pray, every time we read, every time we fast, it's a worship, an act of worship and honor to God. Students, when you study, when you actually take time to open up your book and study and learn the material and do the best you can on that test, if a B is the best you can do, then that glorifies God. If a C is the best you can do, that glorifies God, but you work wholeheartedly at it. You just show up to class and fulfill your commitments. That honors and glorifies God because it's letting your yes be yes because you have a commitment there. When you follow through with commitments, brothers and sisters, if you say you're going to do something, then do it. That honors and glorifies God. When you tell the truth, that glorifies and honors God. God, when you share your resources, you open up your home, you give to the Lord's work, you give to those who are in need, that glorifies and honors God. It's an act of worship. When your brother or sister offends you and they confess to you and you forgive them their wrongs and you do not hang it over their head, that's an act of worship that glorifies and honors God. And in your homes... When you serve your husband or your wife or your son or your daughter or your mom or dad or your brother or sister or your roommates, that glorifies and honors God. It's an act of worship. What I want us to see today 
is that glorifying God is not just some theoretical spiritual treatise that we should ponder. But there is action. There are concrete things that you and I can do as believers in Jesus to bring him honor and glory today. If he has shown the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our hearts. There are a couple of different ways that we can respond to this value this morning. This value that says that all of life is about the glory of God. All of our activity as a church is about the glory and worship of God. If you are a believer, I hope that you will take to heart some of the things that I just wrote, uh, explained to you. And I would even encourage you this week, maybe even response this afternoon, to go home and journal what are some other practical ways that I can glorify and worship God in my everyday life straight from the scriptures and ponder that and meditate on that this week so that we are more cognitively aware of the glory of God in our, in our everyday normal life. I could argue to you that that is what brings God so much glory is the more that we are pondering his glory and his renown in every minute detail of our lives. But also to the person today who you would say, I'm not sure that I've exchanged. I, 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 I'm still living in lies. I'm still living in the dark. And, and I need to make that great exchange and start exchanging the glory of man for the glory of God and exchanging the lies of the world for the truth of God. I ultimately want to exchange my dead heart for one that's alive. I want to exchange my darkened mind for one that processes the things of God. I want to exchange my blinded eyes for eyes that see. How do you do that? Well, this morning you can respond by repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. God, I repent. I acknowledge to you that I've lived for myself. I acknowledge to you that I've been master of my own domain. I acknowledge to you that I'm a glory robber. I acknowledge to you that I've committed cosmic treason. Would you forgive me of my sins? And I look to Jesus because Jesus glorified you perfectly on earth. I want to glorify you through him because I know I can never glorify you in a God-pleasing way on my own. I would encourage you to make that commitment today and then tell somebody about it because we would love to walk alongside of you in that new life in Jesus Christ today. This morning, I want you to see the first thread that we hold high and dear here at Mill City Church. It's the glory of God. It's worship. Let's pray to God in response. God, we do give you glory today. We give you glory from our feeble hearts, our sinful selves, knowing that we could never offer a pure offering on our own. And so, Jesus, we thank you that you intercede on our behalf, all of those who are in Christ. And so this morning, we pray that you would give us a greater awareness of the glory of God. I pray that as we even process the word right now, as we even leave this place in a moment, that we would look around and as we see the blue sky as we see the roaring rapids on the river, as we feel the gentle breeze, as we look in the eyes of our spouse or in the eyes of our children, I pray that we would see the glory of God all around us. Give us a greater awareness of your glory, Father. And I pray that we would be more increasingly satisfied by it. But then I pray, Father, for the one 
who is still living in darkness. Father, shine in their hearts. I pray boldly right now, my Lord, shine in their hearts the light of your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would be so irresistible to them that they would turn from their way of living, place faith in Jesus. And I pray, Father, they would tell somebody about it. And I pray that we would even see new life in this place today. Lord, as we respond, help us. Help us respond and honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.